Nyarlathotep, the crawling chaos. I am the last. I will tell the audient void. I do not recall distinctly when it began, but it was months ago. The general tension was horrible. To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger, a danger widespread and all-embracing. Such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. I recall that the people went about with pale and worried faces and whispered warnings and prophecies which no one dared consciously repeat or acknowledge to himself that he had heard. A sense of monstrous guilt was upon the land, and out of the abysses between the stars swept chill currents that made men shiver in dark and lonely places. There was a demoniac alteration in the sequence of the seasons. The autumn heat lingered fearsomely, and everyone felt that the world, and perhaps the universe, had passed from the control of known gods or forces to that of gods or forces which were unknown. And it was then that Nyarlathotep came out of Egypt. Who he was, none could tell, but he was of the old native blood and looked like a pharaoh. The Felahan knelt when they saw him, yet could not say why. He said he had risen up out of the blackness of 27 centuries, and that he had heard messages from places not on this planet. Into the lands of civilization came Nyarlathotep, swarthy, slender, and sinister, always buying strange instruments of glass and metal, and combining them into instruments yet stranger. He spoke much of the sciences, of electricity and psychology, and gave exhibitions of power which sent his spectators away, speechless, yet which swelled his fame to exceeding magnitude. Men advised one another to see Nyarlathotep and shuddered, and where Nyarlathotep went, rest vanished, for the small hours were rent with the screams of nightmare. Never before had the screams of nightmare been such a public problem. Now the wise men almost wished they could forbid sleep in the small hours, that the shrieks of cities might less horribly disturb the pale, pitying moon as it glimmered on the green waters gliding under bridges and old steeples crumbling against a sickly sky. I remember when Nyarlathotep came to my city, the great, the old, the terrible city of unnumbered crimes. My friend had told me of him and of the impelling fascination and allurement of his revelations, and I burned with eagerness to explore his uttermost mysteries. My friend said they were horrible and impressive beyond my most fevered imaginings, and what was thrown on a screen in the darkened room prophesied things none but Nyarlathotep dared prophesy, and in the sputter of his sparks there were taken from men that which had never been taken before, yet showed only in the eyes. And I heard it hinted abroad that those who knew Nyarlathotep looked on sights which others saw not. It was in the hot autumn that I went through the night with the restless crowds to see Nyarlathotep, through the stifling night and up the endless stairs into the choking room. And shadowed on a screen, I saw hooded forms amidst ruins and yellow, evil faces peering from behind fallen monuments. And I saw the world battling against blackness, against the waves of destruction from ultimate space, whirling, churning, struggling around the dimming, cooling sun. Then the sparks played amazingly around the heads of the spectators, and hair stood up on end, whilst shadows, more grotesque than I can tell, came out and squatted on the heads. 
And when I, who was colder and more scientific than the rest, mumbled a trembling protest about imposture and static electricity, Nyarlathotep drove us all out, down the dizzy stairs into the damp, hot, deserted midnight streets. I screamed aloud that I was not afraid, that I never could be afraid. And others screamed with me for solace. We swore to one another that the city was exactly the same and still alive. And when the electric lights began to fade, we cursed the company over and over again and laughed at the queer faces we made. I believe we felt something coming down from the greenish moon, for when we began to depend on its light, we drifted into curious, involuntary marching formations and seemed to know our destinations, though we dared not think of them. Once we looked at the pavement and found the blocks loose and displaced by grass, with a scarce line of rusted metal to show where the tramways had run. And again we saw a tram car, lone, windowless, dilapidated, and almost on its side. When we gazed around the horizon, we could not find the third tower by the river, and noticed that the silhouette of the second tower was ragged at the top. Then we split up into narrow columns, each of which seemed drawn in a different direction. One disappeared into a narrow alley to the left, leaving only the echo of a shocking moan. Another filed down a weed-choked subway entrance, howling with laughter that was mad. My own column was sucked towards the open country, and presently I felt a chill which was not of the hot autumns. For as we stalked out of the dark moor, we beheld around us the hellish moon glitter of the evil snows. Trackless, inexplicable snows swept asunder in one direction only where lay a gulf all the blacker for its glittering walls. The column seemed very thin indeed as it plodded dreamily into the gulf. I lingered behind for the black rift in the green litten snow was frightful, and I thought I had heard the reverberations of a disquieting wail as my companions vanished, but my power to linger was slight. As if beckoned by those who had gone before, I half floated between the titanic snowdrifts, quivering, and afraid into the sightless vortex of the unimaginable. Screamingly sentient, dumbly delirious, only the gods that were can tell. A sickened, sensitive shadow writhing in hands that are not hands, and whirled blindly past ghastly midnights of rotting creation. Corpses of dead worlds with sores that were cities. Charnel winds that brush the powered stars and make them flicker low. Beyond the world's vague ghosts of monstrous things, half-seen columns of unsanctified temples that rest on nameless rocks beneath space and reach up to dizzy vacua above the spheres of light and darkness. And through this revolting graveyard of the universe, the muffled, maddening beating of drums and thin, monotonous whine of blasphemous flutes from the inconceivable, unlighted chambers beyond time the detestable pounding and piping, whereunto dance slowly, awkwardly, and absurdly the gigantic, tenebrous ultimate gods, the blind, voiceless, mindless gargoyles, whose soul is Nyarlathotep. That was Nyarlathotep by H.P. Lovecraft. A small, three-page story, but so impactful. I think it's one of my favorites because while it is so short, it conveys that perfect sense of dread, mystery, and unknown that H.P. Lovecraft is so famous for. And while it's probably only a few hundred words, I think it says more than most of his other stories combined. I think it's worth reading or listening through a few times just to catch 
the different little nuances, but maybe that's just me. I'm going to read to you one more, and this is my second favorite of H.P. Lovecraft's works. It's called The Cats of Ulthar. It is said that in Ulthar, which lies beyond the river sky, no man may kill a cat. And this I can verily believe as I gaze upon him who sitteth purring before the fire. For the cat is cryptic and close to strange things which men cannot see. He is the soul of antique Egyptus, and bearer of tales from forgotten cities in Moreau and Ophir. He is the kin of the jungle's lords, and heir to the secrets of Hori and sinister Africa. The Sphinx is his cousin, and he speaks her language. But he is more ancient than the Sphinx, and remembers that which she hath forgotten. In Ulthar, before the Burgesses forbade the killing of cats, there dwelt an old cotter and his wife who delighted to trap and slay cats of their neighbors. Why they did this I know not, save that many hate the voice of the cat in the night, and take it ill that cats should run stealthily about yards and gardens at twilight. But whatever the reason, this old man and woman took pleasure in trapping and slaying every cat that came near their hovel and from some the sounds heard after dark, many villagers fancied that the manner of slaying was exceedingly peculiar. But the villagers did not discuss such things with the old man and his wife, because of the habitual expression on the withered faces of the two, and because their cottage was so small and so darkly hidden under spreading oaks at the back of the neglected yard. In truth, much as the owners hated these odd folk, they feared them more and instead of berating them as brutal assassins, merely took care that no cherished pet or mauser should stray towards the remote hovel under the dark trees. When through some unavoidable oversight, a cat was missed and sounds heard after dark, the loser would lament impotently or console himself by thanking fate that it was not one of his children who had thus vanished. For the people of Ulthar were simple and knew not whence it is all cats first came. One day a caravan of strange wanderers from the south entered the narrow, cobbled streets of Ulthar. Dark wanderers, they were, and unlike other roving folk who passed through the village twice every year. In the marketplace they told fortunes for silver, and bought gay beads from the merchants. What was the land of these wanderers none could tell, but it was seen that they were given to strange prayers, and that they had painted on the sides of their wagons strange figures with human bodies and the heads of cats, hawks, rams, and lions. And the leader of the caravan wore a headdress with two horns and a curious disc betwixt the horns. There was in this singular caravan a little boy with no father or mother, but only a tiny black kitten to cherish. The plague had not been kind to him, yet had left him this small furry thing to mitigate his sorrow. So when one is very young, one can find great relief in the lively antics of a black kitten. So the boy whom the dark people called Menace smiled more often than he wept as he sat playing with his graceful kitten on the steps of an oddly painted wagon. On the third morning of the wanderer's stay in Ulthar, Menace could not find his kitten. As he sobbed aloud in the marketplace, certain villagers told him of the old man and his wife, and of the sounds heard in the night. And when he heard these things, his sobbing gave place to meditation, and finally, to prayer. He stretched out his arms towards the sun, and prayed in a tongue no villager could understand. Though indeed the villagers did not try very hard to understand, 
since their attention was mostly taken up by the sky and the odd shapes the clouds were assuming. It was very peculiar, but as the little boy uttered his petitions, there seemed to form overhead the shadowy, nebulous figures of exotic things, of hybrid creatures crowned with horn-flanked discs. Nature is full of such illusions to impress the imaginative. That night, the wanderers left Ulthar and were never seen again, and the householders were troubled when they noticed that in all the village there was not a cat to be found. From each hearth, the familiar cat had vanished, Cats large and small, black, gray, striped, yellow, and white. Old Crannon, the burgomaster, swore that the dark folk had taken the cats away in revenge for the killing of Menace's kitten, and cursed the old caravan and the little boy. But Nith, the lean notary, declared that the old cotter and his wife were more likely persons to suspect, for their hatred of cats was notorious and increasingly bold. Still, no one durst complain to the sinister couple, even when little Atal, the innkeeper's son, vowed that he at twilight seen all the cats in Uthar in that accursed yard under the trees, pacing very slowly and solemnly in a right of the beasts. The villagers did not know how much to believe from so small a boy, and though they feared that the evil pair had charmed the cats to their death, they preferred not to chide the old cotter until they met him outside his dark and repellent yard. So Uthar went to sleep in vain anger, and when the people awakened at dawn, behold, every cat was back at his accustomed hearth. Large and small, black, gray, striped, yellow, and white, none was missing. Very sleek and fat did the cats appear, and sonorous with purring content. The citizens talked with one another of the affair and marveled not a little. Old Crannon again insisted that it was the dark folk who had taken them, since cats did not return alive from the cottage of the ancient man and his wife. But all agreed on one thing, that the refusal of all the cats to eat their portions of meat or drink their saucers of milk was exceedingly curious. And for two whole days, the sleek, lazy cats of Ulthar would touch no food, but only doze by the fire or in the sun. It was fully a week before the villagers noticed that no lights were appearing at dusk in the windows of the cottage under the trees. Then the lean Nith remarked that no one had seen the old man or his wife since the night the cats were taken away. In another week, the burgomaster decided to overcome his fears and call at the strangely silent dwelling as a matter of duty. Though in so doing, he was careful to take with him Shang, the blacksmith, and Thule, the cutter of stone, as witnesses. And when they had broken down the frail door, they found only this. Two cleanly picked human skeletons on the earthen floor and a number of singular beetles crawling in the shadowy corners. There was subsequently much talk among the Burgess of Ulthar. Zath, the coroner, disputed at length with Nith, the lean notary, and Crannon and Shang and Thule were overwhelmed with questions. Even little Atal, the innkeeper's son, was closely questioned and given a sweetmeat as reward. They talked of the old cotter and his wife, of the caravan of the Dark Wanderers, of small menace and his black kitten of the prayer of menace and of the sky during that prayer, of the doings of the cats on the night the caravan left, and of what was later found in the cottage under the dark trees in the repellent yard. And in the end, the Burgesses passed that remarkable law, which is told of by traders in Hatheg and discussed by travelers in Nier, namely, that in Ulthar, no man may kill a cat. 
And those are my two favorite HP Lovecraft stories, Nyarlathotep and The Cats of Ulthar. I wanted to do something a little spooky for October and for Halloween, and I hope that you enjoyed it. I feel like it goes without saying that H.P. Lovecraft was a terrible person, and that within his writings are full of racially charged statements and other terrible stories. But if you can separate the artist from the art, and instead look at his writing at face value instead of looking deeper into the racially charged messages that he has in them, I think that he was a fantastic writer, and he was very influential in what we know as horror today. But with that being said, if you enjoyed this episode, or if you want to hear more like this, then please let me know. And if you do, and you have any particular stories, H.P. Lovecraft or otherwise, that you would like to hear read, then send me a message on social media or use the fancy Spotify Q&A section on the Spotify app to let me know. I wish you all a happy Halloween, be safe, be merry, eat lots of candy, and maybe put on a spooky movie or two. Until next time, see ya.